you can start to get better every day. And as you get better as a human being, right, you perform better in your business, you learn new things, you manage people better, you get better at marketing, you get better at finance, whatever the case may be. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show. Today, we have on Ryan Helms, founder of Legacy Podcasting, where he talks about quitting a six-figure job to build a six-figure social media marketing agency. But before we get into all that, let me check in with my co-host, Justin. What is going on, man? Well, it's been another kind of crazy week, Cody. Um, a big thing that happened last week that was a lot of fun for me was we actually went to a, a live wrestling show, AEW Wrestling, which comes on TNT. So uh, kind of getting to brush off some of those childhood love of, uh, of wrestling. Definitely have not watched it in a long time. It was way more fun than I expected. I got a buddy in Dallas who's really into it, and we're actually going this coming week as well. They did an Austin show, and then they're doing a Dallas show, and it's like five hours of nonstop professional wrestling like there's like no breaks <laughs> and then this weekend we went down to the the coast of texas and port aransas on the beach just kind of hung out for my friend's birthday we went out on a catamaran did a couple just lazy days on the beach and then yesterday i was getting roasted pretty hard on reddit somebody shared my blog and it was talking about saving 90 percent of my income and everyone just started saying like how what a terrible life i live and how miserable it must be and so Hopefully those who listen to the show know with all these trips and all the things I'm always doing, it, it's not too miserable. But everybody's like, this sounds like my hell. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. So yeah, that's been my week. How about you, Cody? Well, hopefully you took the opportunity to swing some people over to the Fi Show and be like, no, listen, like I'm, I'm literally traveling every single week. <laughs> well, this past weekend and this past week, actually, I know I've been complaining and I don't like being a complainer, but man, it's been raining every single day for like 20 something days straight at some kind of record. It, it must be some kind of record, but we did get some glimmers of sun during the day. It's, we just don't have any full days of sun on Friday. We actually were lucky. We got blessed with a couple hours of sun toward the end of the day. And it was my buddy's birthday. He's coming and visiting. He's actually stationed at Fort Campbell, came back for two weeks. So we, his fiance had a little party at our house. Super fun. The next day we actually had the opportunity to take advantage of the morning beach weather. And I'm, you know, I'm being very cautious about my wording here because the whole afternoon downpoured <laughs> but we got to go to the beach in the morning and then you know rain sunday rain the next day and this week is actually looking good so i got my fingers crossed those of you who are up in massachusetts connecticut this area you know what i'm talking about it has been absolutely miserable but can't complain got to keep my head up again i you know i like kind of balancing out my complaints with optimism so i'm really pumped about the week to come and i can just i can smell the good weather on the way But Justin, I think that's enough about us. Let's take a quick moment for our partner. Keeping track of your net worth is one of the most important things you can do on your journey to financial independence. If you don't have an idea of what your net worth is, there's no way that you can keep your quote unquote score. One of our favorite tools to keep this score is called personal capital. If you haven't already started using it, it's an online software that basically compiles all of your data, it crunches all your assets, all your liabilities, and spits out a net worth number and allows you to track it day by day, month by month. Yeah, Cody, one of the big things that hold people back when they're doing activities like tracking their expenses or tracking their net worth is just they look at it as a big burden. And this allows you to go in with one username and one password and access as many financial accounts as you have. These can be loans, these can be 401ks, these can be HSAs, bank accounts, credit cards. They're all linked there. 
The other thing I really like about personal capital is it's very investing focused. So you can go in there and look at your allocation across your entire portfolio. So you don't just look at your allocation in one type of account, but your allocation as a person completely. And if you want to use the same tool that me and Cody use to track our net worth, which is completely free, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash PC. That's thefyshow.com slash PC. Alrighty, so on today's show, we have Ryan Helms, founder of Legacy Podcasting and a whole bunch of other businesses. This guy has done so much. He started multiple companies, some have failed, some have succeeded, and we get to dig into all of that today. He talks about testing a product before launching and how important that is to make sure you're not wasting hours and hours building something that no one wants. He talks about incentivizing referrals. So people that are already loyal customers, people that are already buying from you, how do you get them to refer their friends? How do you get them to refer other people in their network? He also talks about his personal life a bit. He talks about selling his home, traveling the country in a van, how frugality has played into his equation and how that has allowed him to kind of take these steps, build his own business, quit his six-figure job, and so much more in this episode. That's right, Cody. And as if people are listening to this episode and they want to go and check out some of the notes and links that we have, you can do that at thefyshow.com slash helms. That's H-E-L-M-S, thefyshow.com slash helms. I'll take it away, Ryan. I wouldn't say there's like one specific instance, but like we were never like super well off growing up. Like we weren't poor or anything by any means, but looking back, like we didn't go on like extravagant vacations and like, you know, we, if we went on vacation, it was like in the state somewhere. It was never like hopping on a plane anywhere or anything like that. And any of the negative conversations that had like in the household it was like always about money so like i always had like some like negative association with money and i think that always had me like suppress it like i would always just like put my head in the ground and like not want to focus on it and think about it i was just like as long as i have money to pay the bills like i'm good to go like let me i don't even want to look at my i would go probably like i don't know if i looked at my bank account once a month, I would have been surprised. Like it was probably like once every three months, I would look at it just to make sure like if I was going to buy something like bigger. So I was I always had my head in the sand. That's how I like to describe it. So we kind of covered, you know, what it was like growing up as far as the, the money conversations that you had. But let's kind of start walking through your story that ultimately led you to where you are. I'm sure it's not where you expected to be. So like, let's say coming out of high school, what did Ryan think he was going to be? What, did, what were you interested in? The only thing I knew was what is told to you, which is like, go to college, get a job and hope that you can stay there for the rest of your life. So that was kind of the the path I was following. I always tell people I didn't really even know what an entrepreneur was because I didn't grow up in that space. Like there wasn't, I mean, there was looking back, there were people somewhat around that were entrepreneurs, but I guess they didn't self-identify as that. They just kind of had their own business. So I never thought of them as that. So I had zero clue that there was anything to do but the normal narrative of like, go to school, get a job. So that's what I did. Went to a school called Georgia Southern, got a degree in supply chain, worked at a couple companies. And eventually I found this whole like online world. And I'm like, oh man, like podcasts, like all this kind of stuff. And you can just like get information so easily. And that really like opened me up to what the possibilities were out there and started to learn more about money, like stumbled into like gateway people, like the Dave Ramsey's of the world and people like that, where it just like kind of gets you to start thinking about money. And then like you can expand from there if 
you have the desire to, but that's kind of where I was in the beginning, like finding people like that. And it just kind of like opened my eyes to this world of like, not only is there better ways to like do your money, but there's other ways to like actually make money in the world as well. Besides just like going and working for some, someone. And I was always towards the end, we can get into like me leaving my uh, corporate job and stuff, but you know, towards the end of that career, like the thing that I hated the most was the fact that like in 10 years, I knew how much money I was going to make. I could have probably guessed like plus or minus 20 K a year salary, like how much I was going to be making in 10 years. And I hated that. It was just like, it, it just felt so like limiting. And although on the other side, there's a lot more risk to it. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, the, the upside was exponentially in theory bigger. So I, I kind of eventually got into that. So it seems like from what I've read and what I've listened when I've heard you on other podcasts, like you were actually kind of crushing it in this corporate job. I'm pretty sure you're making over six figures. You said you were kind of enjoying it. Like the work was challenging. You were learning stuff, but then you kind of discover this whole community and you're like, damn, I could be doing all this other stuff, even though this job is pretty good before I discovered this whole world that's out there. And I'm just kind of the same way where I just like saw all these people crushing it. I didn't even know that world existed. So I was like, oh, <laughs> this job is pretty good. And then you kind of just like get opened. You wake up in the matrix and figure out that there's just this whole other world out there. What was your mindset like, like when you made that shift? I don't know how many years after it was after you were in that corporate job where you did like, like I said, wake up in the matrix and discover all these other people. But like, what was that like mentally? I know for me, it was just like an insane couple of months. Yeah. So it was a long process. It was nothing overnight. Like I remember. So the first time I heard like somebody actually making money online was my friend Ivan and I, I remember like it was yesterday. It's one of those, like you always hear people like this, like story where it's like, we were doing this. And I'm like, man, this dude's making that up. He doesn't remember that story. But it's like, I remember we were driving in the car. I was in the passenger seat. We were going to get uh, vegetables because we were going on a juice fast. And he put on Smart Passive Income by Pat Flynn. And this dude was a, a football coach uh, at a high school. And he was like selling like online playbooks and stuff to other football coaches. And he was crushing it. And I was like, is this real life? Like how many possible football coaches could there be out there where this guy could be making tens of thousands of dollars a month doing this? So that kind of like really expanded my mind. And then I just went down a bunch of other rabbit holes uh, from there. But like the mindset was like for me, the mindset was the biggest part, just like trying to like wrap my head around like all the possibility because you don't even really envision that in the corporate world. You're like you're in like such this little box. And like I like you said, I was doing quite well, um, you know, low six figures job, like should have been super happy and content by all the normal standards. But uh, once you see that, it's hard to look away. And all these people are such great marketers that they like make it seem like even more appealing than it actually is. So you're like, man, this is possible, right? And, you know, I think that's good that people can give that belief because it is hard, but you need that like true like belief in yourself in the beginning to even take those steps. So, you know, it took... That conversation was probably in, or that that drive in that car was probably in sometime in 2015. And then 2016, I was like, just like listening to stuff. Then I started my own podcast with the goal of just to like talk to people and like, wonder how these other people are doing it. And that was the pure goal of that, that podcast was just to talk to people and figure it out. And then I started, I tried to start like online coaching thing for like fitness stuff. And I spent like 80 hours building a website and nothing happened. Big lesson there, like 
don't waste your time building a website like that. Uh, <laughs> and then <laughs> I tried a bunch of other like little things. I launched a Kickstarter project. That was okay. Raised like 13,000, somewhere around there on that. And then, yeah, just through networking online, I met a business partner uh, in the business that we have now. And we just kind of started doing some stuff on the side in the content marketing world. So we started that. We kind of teamed up November of 2018. We got our first client January of 2019. Within, I think within six months, we had done over 100,000 in revenue on the side. Like I was still working my day job, managing 14 people in my day job and then doing this stuff like at Starbucks in the morning before work and during lunch and after work. So yeah, it was quite a journey. So you're you're keeping that job the entire time. You get to that point where you're making you know, $100,000 in six months with you and your business partner. At what point did you start thinking, you know, I think I could actually do this full time and, and I'm, I have the confidence to walk away from my, my normal job. Man, you said a big word there is confidence. That was something, cause I was, like I said, I didn't, I was totally new to this entrepreneurship scene. Like I hadn't really had much success before this. So like confidence was definitely something that I lacked in the whole process, but for me, the big thing and what I told myself was I needed to see like at least three months of like stable revenue above. I think at the time I was like, if we can make 17000 a month for three months in a row, like I'm good, like I'm all in. So we, we kind of hit around that mark and we started to get pretty consistent with like our clients on retainer. And eventually I was like, all right, like I, something has to give, like I'm managing 14 people in this day job. It's taking up a lot of time and effort and stress. And then I've got this other business that's growing and we're growing a team over here as well. And I'm like, you know, I'm trying to like fragment my attention somewhat successfully, somewhat not successfully. And yeah, it got to that point where I was like, something has to give what, like, do I want to pursue this career in the corporate world and like ride this out? And I pretty much know where I'm going to be in 20 years, which isn't a horrible place. Or do I want to like risk a whole lot more? Cause I was super risk adverse. I still am super risk adverse. So I was like, Oh no, like put all this on the line thinking this thing could like tank at any moment and, and jump. Ultimately I decided to jump just because it was like the whole like worry about what if like what, like if I didn't do it, like I knew I would be laying there at night going like, what if like, it doubled the month after I gave up on it or like whatever the case may be. And I was like, didn't think I was going to be able to like live with myself without at least like seeing it out. And I was pretty confident based on my resume that if I needed to go back in the corporate world, like it wouldn't be a big deal. So I kind of like had that as like a plan B and eventually I jumped. The funny thing is the month that I, so I left my job August 2nd, 2019, I think was my last day. And August was the worst month we had since, I think, our second month. And so I was like, oh, Jesus, I just made the worst mistake of my life. <laughs> Man, well, I definitely want to get into some of the tactical stuff. You touched on so many things there, like your failed side hustles, which I think, honestly, we might learn more from than your most successful recent side hustle. But I do want to kind of go back to your story just for a second before we pass it over. Because a thing that I see with a lot of successful entrepreneurs is this frugality theme. And I know... Was it 2016? You had over 200K of debt? Yeah. And you were making, I don't know what you were making in 2016, but you had a low six-figure job when you quit, which was, you know, almost two years ago now, or maybe a little over two years ago now. 
man, how did you get to that point? And then how did you kind of, was it like you were just spending like a crazy amount, not looking at your personal finances? And how did you get out of that hole? And then we'll kind of talk about side hustle stuff after. Yeah, 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 100% right. I, I was just spending way too much money. Like I had a, a brand new Nissan 370Z sports car, which like, I think when you factored in insurance, it, it took premium gas and like the car note and everything. I was paying like close to like 900 a month for that. And then I had like an apartment, uh, you know, just a bunch of stuff. We were always going out partying and like I was not scared to like buy drinks for people and stuff like that. Like I was just spending like way, way too much money. Almost like I was like a break even type of thing every month where it was like I had a little bit of buffer, but not a whole lot, depending on how stupid I was. Like I said, I had my head in the sand. I was like totally like down. And so I did that from probably that was like my mentality from. 23 to 29 right i think i'm 34 right now and after years of that eventually like i said i found some of these people online that were kind of like educating you and how to how to think better about things and i realized that that was really one of the big elephants in the room so during my corporate career i took all my two weeks of vacation right because that's all i got i took all two weeks at one time and i went to africa by myself and while i was there I had this like big realization because people were traveling and doing all this cool, fun stuff. And they all had different ways they were doing it. Some of them were like working online. Some of them had like sold everything and were just like living off that money. Long story short, like I didn't know like how I was going to do it, but I knew I wanted to be able to like make that decision. Like if I so choose to do that, I would be able to do that. On the plane ride back, I quickly realized that like the big elephant in the room was all this debt that I had, like all this unnecessary stuff that I had under my belt. So when I got home, I just started like consuming stuff on personal finance and like cutting the fat. Like my, like I just like cable gone, like any subscription service that didn't like help me breathe gone car, like got rid of it, bought like a Honda Civic cash, like a old used Honda Civic cash, like got rid of everything that was costing me more money. Hadn't luckily, like when the bank offered to give me like a huge amount of money for a loan to buy a house, I didn't choose to take all that money. I like chose a whole lot less. So I was doing okay in, in that situation. But when I looked at everything that I had, it was like, I think it was 209,000, somewhere around there. And I just went on a, like an aggressive plan. Like I set targets. I was like, okay, here's when I want to have all this paid off. And I just had it all in a spreadsheet with like a graph that I could literally track at the top. And it took me 27 months to to pay it all off. All wow. in. All. So, and that was throwing everything at it. That was, you know, any bonus I got at work, 100% of the bonus went towards whatever was next in line to pay off. Any extra money that I made on the side, like the Kickstarter project and stuff, all that money went to that. Like... I was just like, how can I decrease my expenses and increase my income? That was like my whole thought philosophy, right? Which is, that's all you have to do to really get out of debt, right? Quote unquote, that's all you have to do. <laughs> uh, decrease expenses and uh, increase income. But that's kind of how I was thinking about it. And yeah, it took 27 months of, you know, not doing a whole lot, but it, it paid off. And that really opened me up to take risk, right? To, to jump no way would we be sitting here having this conversation, at least about me living in a van in the mid somewhere in California right now, if I didn't pay off that debt first. Because like I said, I was so risk adverse. I was like, how can I totally minimize my risk so that when, if I quit this job, all I have to do is figure out how to like buy rice and beans. Like if I can figure that out, everything else is kosher. So that was kind of my whole philosophy on it. 
Well, you heard it here, folks. If you can get out of debt, then one day you too can live in a van somewhere yes. in California. It's so <laughs> I did have a couple more questions just to kind of round out that debt payoff is because like, first of all, not all debt is created equal. There's some that has, you know, these extreme percentages of interest that you're having to pay off. So I'd be kind of curious to get a profile of the debt that you had. And the other thing is, you know, were you going from it from like a slightly less tactical, more mental, like I just got to get all the debt paid off and I'm not even going to invest anything? Or were you taking advantage of like your kind of 401k matches and some of those things that, you know, you generally recommend people doing? Yeah. So the order of operations for me was like the highest interest stuff first. Like that's where I started, like any credit cards I had, the profile of that debt. And this isn't, this is something I learned after I got out of debt is that all debt isn't created equal. There's good debt and bad debt, like mind blowing stuff. But I had no concept of that in the beginning. I thought like all debt was bad debt and you must eliminate all debt. Yeah. I have a much different thought on that now, but so about 90, 90, 95, somewhere in that range was the mortgage I still had on my condo. The rest of it was student loans, credit cards, that type of stuff. Don't remember the exact, but it was, you know, in that ballpark. The company I was at was, from what I've heard, was pretty good. So they had a 9% match on their 401k. Uh, so I was taking advantage of, I think I was actually putting like 10% in. So I, I kept with that like the whole time. Most of that was going into certain ETFs and, and things like that. So I, I kept rolling with all that. I wasn't trying to get that 10% so that I could put it towards the debt. I understood like this, this has some legs that can keep growing. And so most of it was like in some generic ETFs. I was lucky enough to invest in like Netflix at when it was around like 80 bucks and AMD when it was pretty low and some individuals, but most of it was going into just some standard ETFs. And so you're kind of getting your financial house in order. At the same time, though, you said you're experimenting with different side hustles. You had a couple of failed ones that didn't quite work out. You ultimately find one that does work out. But I do want to focus on some of those failures and maybe not failures, but maybe they weren't as big of successes as you'd like them to be. They were failures. Or, fa or absolute failures. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know you mentioned like the, was it the side hustle journal that was on Kickstarter? You're like, oh, that did pretty well. I'm just curious, like, what are some of the lessons you've learned? We have a ton of entrepreneurs, ton of people who have side hustles, people who are thinking about starting side hustles. I know you've like developed a whole system. I think it's called the molehill system. And you just have a ton of content. I mean, so much content created around just picking, taking action, kind of what niche you should be in, all that stuff. Could you kind of just give us a maybe a high level overview of some of the lessons you've learned? Yeah. So, all right. So a couple things, if we start with the side hustle journal, uh, which was a project on Kickstarter, like you said, that was probably like middle of my journey of like just trying different ideas. And the one thing that I learned there is the power of relationships. So when I started that project, like I didn't know anybody in the online space at all. Like this was pre-podcast. The podcast was because I launched this Kickstarter project because my approach to it was, all right, Obviously, I have no email list, I have no audience, nothing in this space. I created what I thought was a pretty cool product, but I realized that posting it on Kickstarter was like, you know, I might reach like 30% of my goal just from their audience, right? Where's the other 70% going to come from? So I just started, I just started cold emailing as many people as I possibly could. I probably, not kidding, at least probably sent five or 600 emails to people and I probably got like a 1% reply rate on those. A couple of them worked out pretty good, actually. But like when I looked at the 
effort that I put in and the amount of money I raised, I lost money if I put pretty much any value on my time at all. It was a it was a loss uh, situation. But so like the one thing that I learned was the power of a network. So because I realized that and I'm like, man, if I would have just known some people in like the online space, like the online marketing space or entrepreneurship space, people that had the audience that would have liked that product, like, it would have been so much easier. So then I started the podcast one to like figure out some different business ideas and two to meet some of those people in that space, to start building some of those relationships. So the power of relationships and I still think where our agency is right now is because of relationships, like hundred percent. So like, I, I think that is something that's super downplayed. A lot of people think it's like fluff and like a waste of time, but developing like key relationships can make or break your success. I think another big lesson I learned was when I was trying this uh, health and fitness coaching thing, like I literally probably spent three weeks every night at Starbucks, like building a website because I thought the website was going to be what brought in all the people and they were just going to like flock to it. If I could give like one piece of advice, like if you're just starting a business, find other ways to validate your business idea before you spend 80 hours, like trying to learn how to build a website. Like if you really feel compelled to get a website, just download like a template or something and change the name on the website. Something super basic because a website is not going to make or break your success in most scenarios. So focus on actually providing value to people and validating that idea first. This is something that the validating thing is, I think, super important. And, I, you know, even with the business where it is now, if we're doing something new, we still validate the idea first before we invest a lot of time and energy into it. And how can you do that for like as cheap as possible and as quickly as possible? That's what you need to be thinking about. Try to figure out if people are actually interested in it before you you spend a lot of time on it. And that's actually what I was about to ask is if we could dive a little deeper into that. You know, what are some of those tactics that you can do to make sure that you're not just putting a ton of time into something that's not going to be successful. It's something that people actually care about. I can give you a real example from a, a recent project that I'm working on now. It's a software product and we needed to figure out it, it was brand new to the space. There's nobody doing anything like it. So that's either a really good thing or a really bad thing. It means nobody wants it or cares enough about it. And other people have probably tried it and realized that before you or you're just super early to the space, which again could be good or bad. So with that tool, what we what we did was we simply, the partner that I had, because I don't know anything about coding. So actually a guy I met on my podcast, again, relationships, he was like episode number 14 on my podcast. I kept that relationship going, you know, probably a year and a half after I interviewed him. Like I remember like, oh man, you know, Mark's really good at coding. He built some really cool stuff. Like, let me pitch him this idea. I pitched him the idea. I had pitched him some ideas before that, and he always poked holes in them and told me they were horrible. So then I knew he was like a good dude. Like he wasn't scared to like shoot me down. He didn't shoot down this idea. So we decided to pursue it. And our validation method was between the two of us, we we put in 500 each, so a thousand bucks. And we created a very basic landing page with just the like, we hadn't even like wrote a single line of code. It was just the idea. We came up with like a, like a, a sales headline, like a sales message for the landing page. We had an opt-in on it. And we were basically like trying to get people to sign up for the idea of this tool, right? Does this sound cool enough for you to put your email address in? 
and we ran a thousand dollars worth of ads in a couple newsletters very specific to the product we were building and like facebook and instagram ads nothing i'm not a facebook or instagram ads expert so they were pretty basic but it was like can we find people interested in this concept and get them to sign up and we had like a number of people that we wanted to get signed up it was somewhere like around 75 we got like 117 people to sign up for the idea right no product nothing to show them other than the the thought in our head right and some words on the the page and that's kind of how we approach that right so how because a coding project right a thousand bucks to validate the idea versus tens possibly a hundred thousand dollars in dev work right it's a good trade-off to validate that people are actually interested in the idea so that's how we approached it and then from there we've been working on it on the side to kind of validate that idea even more get it people that signed up those beginning people as we kind of iterate on things show it to them what do they think how do they like they were the ones super interested in it so getting feedback from them as we go as well so I kind of want to dig into this first successful business. I feel like we haven't really talked about it much. We're talking about some of your most recent developments, obviously, but you know, this isn't the first iteration. This isn't the first product or software or just idea you've had. Like what was that first business that took off that you made over six figures in revenue in six months? Yeah. So it's the one that I'm, it's still my main focus right now. It's a content marketing agency. Uh, is the easy way to describe it. We do a lot of stuff with podcasts like you guys are listening to right now. We do a lot of YouTube content, written content, et cetera, social media management, blah, blah, blah. And we help entrepreneurs get their message out there through content marketing. So I've built a team. We've got like 17 people right now uh, on our team that help support, you know, over a little over 30 clients. And just recently, I bought my business partner out of his equity in the business to get like, we were 50-50 partners. Man, I could tell you so many things I learned just about partnerships. I don't know if you guys are like business partners on paper, but there's a lot of stuff to learn in that to make sure it doesn't go sour. Thankfully, ours didn't. We were able to work things through amicably, but just some of the stuff that I learned along the way of those three months uh, endeavor of making that transition was huge. But yeah, so we, the business has been doing good. We did our, our first year, I think we did, uh, so 2019, I think we did 275,000 in revenue. Eight months of that, I was still working my full-time job. Last year we did like 650, 675,000, somewhere around that. And this year, I don't know, we're probably going to be eight or 900,000, somewhere in that range. So yeah, we just continue to grow. I continue to learn every day, uh, try to figure stuff out, solve problems, and it's it's a crazy, crazy journey. You're, you're never at the top, and you're always learning, 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 and that's what I think is the coolest part about starting a business. And I'm wondering if there's anything kind of unique to the way you need to market for entrepreneurs. Like, you're doing this market, you're helping the entrepreneurs market things versus, you know, other businesses that are doing their marketing. And, and also, like, when you're going to these entrepreneurs, how do you convince them that you know the right way to market for them? Really good question. So for us, the trick has been over-delivering all the time, providing as much value as humanly possible to them for the, for the rate that we're charging them. We're definitely not a budget service by any means. So always trying to over-deliver and, and make them seem like they're getting way more bang for their buck than they're paying us. And that has resulted in probably 95% of our clients coming via referral. So we got in early with a small group of people 
there was a, a community from a guy named Russell Brunson. He's big into marketing. Uh, he owns a company called ClickFunnels. For a while, he had something he called the inner circle. It was like his mastermind. These people paid somewhere between 50 and 100,000 to be a part of this every year. And we got one client that was a part of that, did really good with them. Other people were asking him like, hey, how'd you do your podcast? So you're getting good results. Then they told somebody else and then they told somebody else. And it was just like this ripple effect, like through that community. So that's where most of our business came from. And then outside of that, it's continued to happen. Now it's much broader than just that little community of, of marketers, but the same effect. It's this person telling this person telling this person. And that's been most of our business. The second best lead source for us has been LinkedIn, just starting to nurture some people on LinkedIn. And we, we've landed some pretty decent size accounts, which will you know be close to six figures from just a single client, just off literally a LinkedIn cold message. Like, hey, I see you're doing X. How's it going? They're like, if you ever want to do more, just give us a shout. Super basic stuff. And, you know, 95% of them are like, get lost, kid. But the 5% that you get can be a big help for your business. And is there like a trial that these people are like, because that sounds like a big job that you're landing, a big contract that you're landing. Are they like, here's a little bit of money. If you show me this kind of return, like, you know, I get this much engagement, then we can talk about something bigger. Yep. Very, very good question. We, we do no promises like that at all. So ours is, is purely based on, we do testimonials for everybody, all of our clients. So like if, if you have any type of service business or really any business at all, like if you can get video testimonials from people that you're servicing, that can be one of the most valuable things for your business. So every one of our clients, we ask for a video testimonial from. If they don't give it to us, we'll follow up again in a month. Like we always ask for that because anytime somebody books a call with us, we have an auto redirect to our testimonials page. So they book a call and all they see is, you know, 50 videos of people saying how amazing we are. So it just kind of like primes the conversation for results that we've got for other people. You can't promise anything because everybody's coming at you with a different business model, different size audience, you know, different understanding of content marketing and marketing in general. So it's more about like, hey, here's what we've did for other people that are could be similar to you. And this is just kind of like proof that we're not some average Joe on the street that's trying to take your money. We let other people speak for us. And that that's worked really well. Love that we're going in this direction. And I definitely want to kind of give some actionable tips to listeners, regardless of what business type they have. And I know you mentioned like you kind of got started, you had that someone from the inner circle at ClickFunnels, and they had a bunch of referrals, but you have since expanded your marketing options, at least, or your marketing strategies, you know, so I'm thinking like referrals, there's just like straight up networking, like maybe talking to people on your podcast, they're like, oh, you know, Ryan seems like he knows what he's doing. He's already helped all these other successful businesses. There's like running ads, whether it's on, you know, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, who knows? I don't know where you might be testing out these ads. Then there's things like getting people to shout you out on their email list. Maybe you're paid sponsorships. Maybe you're giving them free lead magnets, like, you know, the 50 page guide to crushing it and getting more clients. I'm kind of asking for my own businesses <laughs> as well. But, you know, what are some things you've learned and what are some things that our listeners can take away from what types of referral sources work the best? Yep. So we've done zero paid advertising at this point. Um, wow. None at all. So 
literally referrals in LinkedIn is the only things that we use for lead generation and to, but try to give you some value on that because it's kind of hard with referrals besides like asking people and incentivizing people to give referrals. So we have two different approaches for some clients. We'll offer them, if you send us a client, they sign up, we'll give you a month free of your services. I don't care if you're paying us 400 a month or 4,000 a month, we'll give you a month free, like no questions asked. Other clients, and this is kind of a, a direction we're going just because it's a little bit easier to manage. Like, is it send somebody our way, they sign up, we send you a thousand bucks, no questions asked. So we'll even build landing pages for some of our clients because they, they do have big audiences, they do have email lists, things like that. So we'll build a co-branded landing page. Takes literally 30 minutes. I can do it on a platform like Elementor, which is like a, just a WordPress drag and drop building platform. It'll have like their logo, our logo. We put their testimonial video on that page as well, write a little bit of copy about results we've got for them. And then it's like a, a booking link embedded in the page there. So that's worked really well. We've got a couple clients via that. But besides that, like the referral thing is like literally just ask your people like, hey, do you know anybody that could use value from our services? We'd love an introduction. And one thing that I think is very valuable the more specific you can be with that request, the better. So if you're asking somebody for a referral, like put specifics around that. Like, hey, you know, we're really trying to beat our last month revenue. Like, so like we're trying to get two more clients this month. If you could send us like four potential people that you think could use our services, that'd be awesome. And if any of them sign up or if all of them sign up, we'll give you a thousand bucks for each one. Uh, so like telling them like why you're doing it and how many you would like to get from them, like that just gives them a lot more clear direction. And it means they have to think less about it, right? Because you gave, you told them, very specifically what you would like from them. Now, they might only send you one, but it, it helps get past some little mental barriers that some people would have to even start to take action on that. So that's one little tip for uh, for referral stuff. I just think it's huge, though, that you're giving back that much. Like so many entrepreneurs might think, oh, man, like giving up a thousand bucks every time I get a referral. But you've probably done the calculations and more often than not, like the more referrals you can get, like, man, you already have these people in your ecosystem. Even if they don't sign up, maybe they will sign up a year down the road. They've already been introduced to you, your services. They're going to continue to see you. Maybe if you do do remarketing ads at some point, I don't know. But I think that's just so powerful, man. Like giving people that amount of a reward for sending leads and potential clients your way. I think that's awesome. Yeah. You hit on it. It's understanding your LTV or lifetime value of your customer or your client or whatever you want to call them. That's how you can do things like that. And it's not a like super complicated formula. Just after you've been in business for, you know, six months or so, you can start to understand how long are people sticking around and how much are you getting from those people? Let's just for I suck at math, so let's keep it simple. Let's say if if I'm getting on average fifty thousand bucks from a client, right? A thousand bucks to make fifty thousand is like, I'll do that all day. Like sign me up, dude. I'll throw thousand bucks at anybody that comes my way if I know that giving that thousand is going to make me 50,000. So that's kind of the mindset there. You really just at a very basic level have to understand the value of someone coming into your business. Now, if you have a much lower ticket service or like a physical product or something like that, you have to reevaluate differently. But the same type of concept applies. Like what would be a good value for you? And like, what's like a no brainer for someone to to promote your stuff? Like if I told them I was going to give them a hundred bucks, most of my clients aren't hurting for money. So they're going to, they're going to be like, 
hundred bucks, like I'm not going to get off the couch for that, you know, but if I'm telling them like, I'm going to give them a thousand or if they're paying us 3000 a month then I'm going to give them 3000 in free services, like that stuff starts to spark their attention a little bit. So these are a lot of really good insights into like tactically how you run this business, how you're getting the lead generations and things like that. And I'm sure Cody will have more questions from, from that standpoint, but I'm actually a little curious on the more from a lifestyle perspective, you know, I work fully remote. This sounds like I don't know if you'd characterize it as like a full-time job, but just how do you see this job different from anyone else who has a fully remote job? Like how has entrepreneurship, you know, opened up things for you on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. So I learned something probably about six months ago that I think is fitting to share here. It's something along the lines of if your business requires you to run, you're not a business owner. You just have a lot of stock in a company. That was like a huge mind shift for me because I was like, crap, like I'm actually not a business owner. Like I just like have 100% equity in this company that I happen to work for. So like I'm still at that level. And especially since I just bought my business partner out, I'm still working very much full time in this much more than 40 hours a week. So that was, uh, I think if you're getting, if you're working a corporate job and you're going to start your business and you think you're going to like sit on the beach and sip margaritas, like you have a very, very rude awakening coming to you because I work far more than I ever did in my corporate job. I think the biggest difference is there's much more satisfaction and fulfillment when you start getting traction and you you have the thought of that potential upside that I was mentioning. Is it guaranteed? Absolutely not. But right, you can start to get better every day. And as you get better as a human being, right? You perform better in your business. You learn new things. You manage people better. You get better at marketing. You get better at finance, whatever the case may be. You can start to apply that to your business and start to see that growth and that fulfillment that you get out of that, I think is one of the best parts about starting a business and running a business. You definitely don't do it because it's easy. And I do plan on getting to that point where I'm a business owner and this business, I can step away for two months and the business is going to be better than it was when I left when I get back, but I'm definitely not there yet. And it's not a quote unquote lifestyle business for me. It does allow me to live in a van and travel through the U.S., but it's it's not sunshine and roses. Like there's problems to solve every day, but it's your baby. It's your business. Like no one can tell me that they're going to lay me off tomorrow. Like we could lose clients, right? But I can I can go get new clients. I have more control in that, you know, probably about a month ago, one of the people that I was really close with at my company, she was super smart, like one of the top performing people in that company. She texted me and told me she got laid off, like randomly, like boom, laid off. And she didn't know what she was going to do next. And I'm like, that's the kind of stuff that you never know if it's going to happen in your corporate job. You could work there 30 years or you could be gone tomorrow. Like you only have so much say in that, even if you're a high performing person. So like there's risk in no matter what you do. Like you could say there's more risk in starting a company. Like you could probably spin the conversation and say there might be more risk in working a corporate job. So I do want to touch on just kind of your personal life. One of the last things we talked about here, I know we're kind of nearing the end of our time, but you talked about traveling in the van. You were in Austin, Texas a couple of weeks ago. Now you're in California. Like a lot of people can't live this lifestyle and it seems like you are working really hard, but you're playing hard as well. You know, what made you make that decision to, you know, up and sell the house, travel full time to van and, you know, what's on the horizon? I know you kind of fell in love and with travel back when you travel over to Africa, when you're working that full time job, but kind of excited to hear what's what's in store, man. Yeah. So we bought a, a new house in 
July of 2020. And we lived there for eight months. And then my wife and I had a conversation and we were essentially like, when you combine all the COVID stuff and not being able to like do a whole bunch, we were just kind of like, are we really going to come at the end of each day, come sit on the couch and just watch Netflix? And we decided to, uh, before we had kids and stuff like that, we wanted to travel some more. So as soon as I got my wife's buy-in, I took immediate action and I think the house was listed for sale within like two days. And uh, <laughs> I sold her car probably within like a week. And we sold the house uh, probably about two months after that. So we lived in it for about eight months in total. Luckily, the market went up a little bit. So we, like when you factor in like the commissions and stuff, we pretty much just lived there for free for eight months. That's how it turned out. But yeah, we sold it. We bought a van. We invested in the van that we're in right now. And we we hit the road and it hasn't been easy by any means. This week in particular, just to be honest, has been pretty rough. Uh, I thought California was going to be uh, super cool. But one of the things that we learned living in a van is when you're in the middle of nowhere, it's really easy, especially towards the West Coast, Utah, Arizona, Idaho stuff. There's what they call BLM land, Bureau of Land Management, public land. I can just go park anywhere, it seems like, and it's public land, and I can just stay there for up to 14 days if I want to. We came out to California, and there's not much public land, and there's a whole bunch of people. And, you know, we, we like the outdoorsy stuff, but we like cities as well. And doing van life in a city sucks. Like, we're, like, living in parking lots and stuff right now. But as long as we get good internet, it's uh, it's all right. The weekends tend to make up for sucky weeks. Because we get to go out and really like do whatever we want. My wife's a software developer. She's sitting about six feet from me right now. She's working. And yeah, we do this full time. We still run a business. She works full time during the week. And in the evenings, sometimes we explore. But definitely on the weekends, we'll go hike, explore cities, etc. Well, I don't know if maybe it's a tip for you and maybe or maybe it's just a tip for listeners. But if your van has like meets the requirements, like you have a place you could use the bathroom, you have like a sink, then there's a there's a website called uh, Harvest Hosts, and there's also one called Boondockers Welcome. And that was a game changer for me when I had my van. Like it, you know, there's so many places that you could park and uh, know that you're like in a, a place where people aren't going to try to run you off or wondering why you're there. Like it just, even if there's, you're not in any real risk somewhere else, it made us feel a lot more comfortable knowing that the people expected us to be there. So I don't know if you'd use those platforms before, but we use Harvest Host. We do. And, uh, you know, you can go and you can stay there for a night for free, right? And then the the biggest challenge for running a business while doing this is the inefficiencies of constantly having to move around. Like that's, to me, that's been easily the most challenging thing is I'm the only one who drives the van. Like my wife doesn't know how to drive it yet or is, isn't comfortable driving it. So anytime we're moving, it's it's me driving it. So there's a lot of inefficiencies in that. So that's been the biggest challenge for me. But yeah, Harvest Host is awesome. Like when we were in Austin, we stayed right outside of uh, probably about 30, 40 minutes outside of the city in the middle of a winery. Like they, where they told us to park was literally in the middle of the winery. And we just sat out there and had wine with them and that night and woke up in the middle of a field and it was amazing. And we've stayed at some breweries, some farms, stuff like that. It's pretty awesome. And if people were curious and you're listening, the, the kind of difference is Harvest Host is businesses, so like wineries, golf courses, things like that. Boondockers Welcome is just people's homes. It's a little bit more Airbnb style, and you can stay multiple days there. But anyways. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really, really been a 
eye-opening experience like who knows how long we'll do it for the big thing was just taking the action and doing it and and getting out and exploring and seeing how things go but yeah dude it's been awesome it's been a, a crazy experience just like running a business uh, while living in a van always somewhere different yeah it's been wild it's been cool though Awesome, man. Well, it sounds like you have an exciting couple of years ahead of you. Excited to see that transition from a someone who has 100% equity in the business that they're working into a business owner and where your travels, where you end up in your travels. But for our listeners who want to connect, you have a bunch of places and a bunch of different businesses that it seems like you're still currently running. You know, where are some of the best places where people can connect with you? My main business is LegacyPodcasting.com. That's the main business that puts food on the table or puts gas in the tank, however you want to say it now. And then LinkedIn is a good place to connect. And if you want to see random stuff about our trips, our Instagram is freedom underscore adventure. So A-D-V-A-N instead of V-E-N. So that's, uh, I post like stories and stuff about what we're doing and things like that. Well, thanks, Ron, for coming on the show. It's definitely a very interesting story. I mean, you had a job that, you know, you didn't necessarily hate, but you found a different lifestyle out there. You dug into it. You made it work. You got something super successful now. And now you're working on, like you said, becoming a true business owner and not just having all that equity. But it's a great story. And thank you for coming on and sharing it with us. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me on. It was a blast to chat with you. And as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at thebuyshow.com slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefyshow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening.